Hey, good morning, FCF Church. Uh, wonderful to be with you this morning. And I'm really looking forward to uh, this particular message. We're in a series of messages called Acing the Tests. And my premise in this series is this. The scripture is very clear that God puts us in this life through some tests. Now, we have to understand these are not like pass or fail tests, which is the way we tend to look at them. And they're not like tests as though God doesn't really know what's in us or what we may do because the scripture is very clear. He knows. A better word instead of testing, it's trials. God takes us through some, some trials, some experiences. We, we find that they're called disciplinary, developmental experiences. We all go through them and God wants us to ace them. He wants us to take full advantage of the benefits that are offered when we go through these testings, these trials. Now, I'm going to take you back. Uh, as I was preparing this message <laughs> this week, um, I, I have no idea where, where this came from, but I started thinking for some reason about some of my earliest uh, elementary school experiences. And so, like, for me, I don't know about for you, but the, the first games that I learned in elementary school were, number one, kickball, which uh, was just so much fun. It turned out I could kick pretty good. Um, but the other game was freeze tag. Now, I don't know if you played freeze tag, but we played freeze tag. And freeze tag, freeze tag was kind of like this. If you were it, you know, you, you're called the it. Your goal was you had to run down people, touch them. When you touch them, they're frozen and they have to stay frozen unless somebody else that's still unfrozen can touch them and unfreeze them. And then the poor it has to just keep chasing, chasing, chasing. So I can still remember this to this day. I learned pretty quickly in the game of freeze tag that I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice of who I was going to chase. And my choices, even as a young elementary kid, they came down to this. I either tried to find the slowest people and chase them down because you can freeze a bunch of them quickly and I would do that or, and I opted for this one to my shame, I admit, or I found the prettiest girls and I tried to chase them down and freeze them. Now what I learned early on in freeze tag is this, you had to make up your mind who you were going to chase who you were going to pursue. You, you can't chase two people at the same time, or at least not very well. There's, there's more to where I'm going with this. There's a very, very important premise. I want you to think about something Jesus said at one point. He said, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hold to the one, love the one, and despise the other, but you can't serve them both. You're gonna, you're gonna be pulled in two directions. You can only chase one thing. Now I prepared two statements that I want to read to you because I don't want to take a chance on uh, messing them up. Here's the first one. Be careful what you chase. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I've had enough experience in life now to, to say I can say this with a great deal of credibility. Be careful what you chase in life because you are likely to get it. Be careful what you chase because you're likely to get it. Second statement, be more careful what you admire because you will likely become what you admire. Let me repeat it. Be more careful what you admire because you will likely become what you admire. 
These two statements will factor in later as we go on in this message. The name of this message today is the character test. The, the scripture is very clear. God says that he takes our character uh, very seriously and testings and trials are part of his process in the development of our character. So I want to take you to a New Testament book of uh, James. And James was one of the first books written in the New Testament, somewhere written around 50 AD between James and Galatians. They were probably the first writings. But James is an interesting guy. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Wouldn't that be a tough role to play? But we read in John chapter 7 that, that James did not, while Jesus was alive doing his miracles, carrying on his ministry, James did not put his trust and faith in him. He didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. It was not until after Jesus rose from the grave, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this, that when James saw Jesus alive from the dead with his own eyes, that he then became a worshiper, a follower, and served him for the rest of his life. He became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. We read about it in the book of Acts. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the writer. Now, I'm going to start you in James chapter 1, verse 1, and we're just going to probably go through verse 8, but, but the concentration is going to be on the first uh, five verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look how his attitude had changed toward Jesus. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. The twelve tribes, it's a reference back to Acts chapter 7 and 8 when Stephen, the first Christian, was martyred. A great persecution of Jewish followers of Jesus broke out in Jerusalem. They were scattered all over the world, and that's what James is relating to. He was saying these scattered Jewish Christians, he's calling the 12 tribes that are scattered all around. There were 12 tribes of Israel. All right, now, now we get to the meat, verse 2. He's telling these individuals that were scattered because of being persecuted because they were followers of Jesus. They had to leave livelihoods. They had to leave homes. They had to leave families, friends start new lives because of their faith in Jesus. They were being ostracized and persecuted. Here's what he says in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, there's our word for the series, trials, testings of many kinds. Why, James? Why would we, why would we consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds? Verse 3. Because, he's going to tell us exactly why. Because... You know, what do we know, James? What do we know that's going to cause us to call, feel like trials or a cause for joy? Because you know that the testing, there's our word again, of your faith produces, number one, perseverance. Let perseverance, verse 4, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's pause right there. James says to these Individuals that were going through hard times, all kinds of hard times, various uh, reasons, relational reasons, economic reasons, uh, readjustment reasons, personal reasons. He's saying, listen, whatever you're going through, whatever kind of a trial it is, there's all kinds of trials. Whatever it is, count it joy because you know something. What, what did they know? James was confident they knew something. They knew that these trials test their faith and when they stay faithful to Christ, no matter what's going on in life, he says that develops some character. The number one trait he picks up on is perseverance. It is the ability to be resilient. It is the ability to stick to what is true and good and right, regardless of what pressure you're under. And he says that ultimately, this 
resilience, this stick-to-itiveness, this perseverance, it produces maturity, maturity of character, and we become complete. We become those that are equipped to be effective followers of Jesus, to live effective lives as human beings. But he's saying that these trials are part of the process that help us to develop maturity, maturity. So, okay, I'm going to pause there. I'm not even going to go on with the other verses because I feel like these are, are important enough for us to fixate on. So, there's a promise here. James is giving a promise about character. He's saying these trials should be counted as a reason for joy because they contribute to the development of my character. They contribute to helping me become mature. But then he also wants us to equally appreciate the process, the trials. He says, instead of looking at the trials as something you dread, something you hate, something you want to run away from, something you want to get out of, he says, no, 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 no. Because you know, you followers of Jesus, you know something that other people don't know. The trials are going to contribute to your character development. So let's start by asking the question is this. Let's examine, let's examine the character promise. James says, that these trials he promises can bring maturity to us, maturity of character. And because he promises they can bring maturity, we should, we should be joyful when we have trials. So let's, let's look at what I'm going to call the character desirability assumption. Now, James has some assumptions here. He assumes that these early followers of Jesus would be so excited about becoming mature, so excited about character development, that they would embrace whatever they had to go through. James assumes that he says, you know, he says, you're, you're going to be, you're going to count it a source of joy, these trials, because you know, you know that they produce perseverance. You know that they test your faith. You know they produce maturity if you stay faithful. So he was confident, we have to get this, he was confident these early followers of Jesus, first of all, so valued character development, so valued maturity, that they would desire it supremely and would go through whatever they had to go through to get it. Now that's James's assumption. Is that a safe assumption today? Were we to survey the average group of those that identify as Christians, as Christ followers, would that assumption that James has about these followers of Christ who were undergoing hard times, would that assumption be safe or would it not? And if, if it's not safe today, if some followers or those that would call themselves followers of Jesus today would, in, would instead perhaps find trials bewildering, confusing, distasteful, distasteful, maybe a cause to be angry at God, maybe a cause to abandon Christ altogether, What's gone wrong? What, where's the breakdown? James was confident that these followers of Jesus would so value character, the character promise of maturity, that they would undergo whatever they had to undergo and be joyful because it was going to contribute to this maturing process. Now, now why today, and it has been my experience, I have to be frank, it has been my experience that, that that's not something we can count on with those that would identify as Christians today. What I find is what I just said earlier, that I find those that call themselves Christians when they go through hard times of any kind, I find them confused, I find them bewildered, I find them sometimes angry at God, I find them sometimes trying to use any means possible to escape, even sin, even abandoning Christ. 
So, so why, is it, why the breakdown? Why was James so confident they would care more about their character than their comfort? And why does it seem like at least some today care much more about their comfort than their character? That, that, that's a real problem. The problem, folks, the problem is the kind of, of gospel presentation that is being presented today. Most churches, most Bible, uh, most Christian books today present the message of Christ. They call it the gospel as more or less a business deal. It's kind of presented in one way or another like, hey, don't you want to make sure your sins are forgiven? Don't you want to make sure you're going to go to heaven? Don't you want some peace? Don't you want some joy? Hey, Jesus is making you a great offer. You better take it now while you can. Save your skin for eternity. Take the deal, you know? What, what's bad about the deal? That is foreign, folks. That is foreign to what was presented in, in the early stages of Christianity. First of all, you've got to go back to a first century context to get a right interpretation of Scripture so that you can get a correct application of Scripture. We're told in 1 Timothy that, that we're to be those that learn how to rightly handle the word of truth. We can't just randomly pick and choose God's word. We have to interpret it in its historic context appropriately so that we can then apply it appropriately to our time today. So what did it mean in Jesus' day when an individual became a believer in Jesus? A believer in Jesus meant, first of all, he's the teacher. They called Jesus the teacher, the rabboni. He was the rabbi. And what did it mean in those days to put your belief in a rabbi, in a teacher? What did it mean to put your trust, your faith? It's the same word in a rabbi, in a teacher. Well, what it meant in those days, and we must understand that every scripture we read where it talks about believing in Jesus, putting our trust in Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus, it has to mean what it meant to those first hearers. When you put your trust in a teacher in those biblical days, you were saying, I see something in you, teacher, in your life, in your character, in your teaching, that I so spontaneously admire it has captured my heart, it has captured my admiration, it has captured my affection. I want to be your follower. I want to be just like you. In fact, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to becoming like you. Jesus said these things. He said, it's well that the, the student become like the teacher. So the gospel message is that the beauty that individuals saw in Christ, the beauty of God exhibited in human form, so is meant, it is so meant to win our hearts, our admiration, our affection, and our trust that we say, Jesus, I want to be your follower. I want to do your will. I want to learn your ways. I want to learn your word. I want so much to be like you. I'll spend the rest of my life with this quest to be like you. It's not about, I want to go to heaven. I want to make sure my sins are forgiven. I want to make sure my, you know, at the end of life you know, that, that I'm going to have a good eternity. Those things are promised, but that was not the appeal of the gospel. And many today are calling that their salvation. It is not their salvation. It is their deception. They, they, they don't care as much about character transformation and spiritual maturity as these early followers of James did because they have swallowed a false presentation of what the gospel, the good news is. Let, let me give you an example of something in, in everyday life. Um, perhaps you can remember a time in your life, particularly in childhood. <laughs> uh, 
I can remember, you know, again, this from my own childhood. You, you, when I was a young kid, sometimes I'd see a certain athlete that I really admired, and I'd start copying the way they, they, they batted, their stance. Or I'd copy the way they threw. If they threw sidearm, I'd throw sidearm. I'd find even certain actors and movie characters, and I'd want to, I'd be so won over by how cool they were, I would start to copy them. It's kind of embarrassing now, but as a kid, I did that. There was this one kid, let me tell you a story. There was this one kid, his name was Pat Snipes. I met Pat, I was probably around 12 years old. I think I just started junior high school. That's seventh grade back then. And uh, I'd never met a dude like this. I mean, Pat was just like, the Steve McQueen of those days, you don't even know who Steve McQueen is probably. He was just like the coolest person I'd ever met. He was so different than anybody else. I, I so wanted to be like him. I wanted to talk like Pat. I wanted to dress like Pat. I wanted to act like Pat. Now he didn't know any of this, but I just was spontaneous. I couldn't help it. I just so admired him. I just thought he was so cool. I spontaneously started to emulate him. Please follow where I'm going here. I, he captured my heart. I wanted to be like him, and so I started to be like him. This is what was the appeal of the gospel. It was not an appeal to go to heaven. It was an appeal to now that you see what God is really like in Jesus, do you want to be like him? Because it's only beings like him that can inhabit eternity, and everyone can have eternal peace and fulfillment. Listen to a verse from Ephesians 4, 30, 4, 4, 13, forgive me, and you'll see that this, this goal, this character quest, this desire for maturity was lock and stock for every average Christian, uh, every, every follower of Jesus in the early centuries. Listen to Ephesians 4, 13. It says, our goal, this is the uh, easy to read version, our goal Notice, it's the goal, it's the quest, it's the chase. What am I chasing? Our goal is to become like a full-grown man or full-grown adult. What is that? To look just like Christ and have all His perfection. Did you hear that? This was the normal, healthy, attitude, goal, pursuit, chase of the average trusting follower of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus in those early times, they wanted to be like Him. It was their quest. It was their passion. Uh, it was spontaneous. They saw something so admirable, so, so beautiful in Jesus that they wanted to be like Him. And so they started to emulate Him. They started to copy Him. Remember what I said early in this message, you know, be careful what we chase because what we chase, we usually get. Let me read you another statement that I copied down, and it's an even more important one. The content of our character determines the quality of our life. Let me say it again. Character is so important. It's so worthy of being the ultimate quest. Christ-like character is so important, so worthy of being our ultimate quest because the content of my character, the content of your character. It is right now, present tense, controlling the quality of our life experience. In other words, think of it in these terms. There are certain capacities that I have being made in the image of God, but they will never develop unless I connect with Christ my Creator and unless I learn His will, learn His ways, follow Him, obey Him, pursue Him. Those characteristics, those capacities will never develop and therefore the quality of my life will be deficient. I won't even know it. Look, look at it in a simple example. 
You, you take a dog, a beautiful dog, a sweet dog, nicest, smartest dog in the world, but that dog will never have the capacities to experience life on the level that a human does. Uh, a human gets moved by hearing a song or, or learning uh, something in a letter multiple other ways because we have capacities that the dog doesn't have. Until you and I return in trust to Christ our Creator, become His followers, spontaneously want to be like Him, certain capacities in us will not develop. And we will always be deficient in the ability that God gave us to experience joy, to experience fulfillment, to experience wholeness, to experience peace, to experience compassion, to experience empathy. I could go on and on to experience gentleness, kindness, goodness, faith, love, joy. All these things will be deficient unless we have as our goal, unless we are chase. The one thing we're chasing is character and it's mature character which we find in Ephesians. To be mature, like James says, is to be like Christ Himself. The content of my character, your character, right now, present tense, is dictating the quality of our life and it's also dictating the quality of our impact on others in our world. Let, let me read you a portion of Scripture from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and then verse 11. It says, The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this, the more you grow, the more you develop, the more you mature, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what he brings to you, verse 11. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The quality of my life is not only the experience of life that I have inside, and you know the truth. I said this in the last series multiple times. It's not what happens to us in life. It's what happens in us that determines the quality of our life. It's the content of our character that determines the quality of our life now and continuing as time becomes. It also, the content of our character determines the quality of our impact on others in this brief journey we have called life. James knew that those early followers of Jesus, they understood this. He could assume that they would care so much about their character development, so much about anything that would help them progress in being like Christ, that they would welcome with joy even the most severe circumstances if they knew that it would contribute to their development. And James was convinced that these early followers of Jesus understood this. They understood that it was the promise of that character maturity was worth everything. He, James, was also assuming they understood that trials, hardships, contribute in a unique way to this development. Far from it being abnormal, far from it being an indi indicator that God has abandoned us or that He's angry at us or that He's punishing us, no, 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 quite the opposite. It is, it is an emblem of the loving, fathering, developmental care of our true Father, our, our true and holy and eternal Father, who is in heaven. And that brings us to the second point of this message, experiencing the character process. Now James assumed that the promise would be enough to motivate these followers of Jesus to experience hardships and count it all joy. He also assumed that they understood this process because character has a complexity to it. Uh, he, James assumed that the followers of Jesus would know this. Now, now, now let, me, let me share. So, 
We put our faith and our trust in our Christ and we start to develop, we start to grow, we start to read the Word of God, we start to obey the Word of God, we start to learn God's ways, we start to embrace His will, we start to change. There's a lot of change that can happen very, very quickly, massive character change that can happen when an individual goes from not trusting in Jesus to trusting in Jesus, not following Jesus to following Jesus. Think about it. When I first turned to Christ at age 23, I went from being the most selfish, ruthless, um, you just wouldn't even want to know me, you wouldn't want to get around me, I, I was just not a good person. Instantly, when Christ won my heart, won my trust, won my admiration, it all changed instantly. I didn't want to be that guy anymore. I wanted to be like Jesus. My whole mind changed. I didn't want to do the things that I used to do anymore. I wanted to do the things that Jesus wanted me to do. I didn't care about the things that I invested my life in before. I now cared about the things that Jesus said were important. Those things all changed in me instantly. Listen, listen when you first put your faith in Christ and you become a Christian, you become a Christ follower, you are truly born again. You are truly a transformed individual. Massive, fast changes occur. But, okay, here's the key, but, as big as those changes are, as easy as they come, as fast as they come, there's so much more change that needs to occur because to mature, remember, is for me, for you to become just like Christ. In this life, it is meant to be our goal. It is meant to be our quest. It is meant to be our pursuit. Remember what I said, be even more careful what you admire because you will become like, more than likely, you will become like what you admire. What we chase and what we admire, we tend to get, we tend to become like. And so, Becoming like Christ, I start learning very quickly. Well, now I have these new set of desires. I want to do God's will. I want to be like Jesus, but I find out, oh my goodness, there's something already embedded in me. There's habits, there's attitudes, there's, there's reflexes, reactions, there's things that, that happen in me. My response is to take over before I can even think. Even though I want to be like Jesus, I want to be compassionate, gentle, loving, kind, good, predictable, faithful, I find that just the right set of circumstances can bring a totally different reaction out of me. And I hate it now. I don't want to be that guy anymore. You, some of you listen to this message, you know exactly what I'm saying. You struggle with this. The scripture calls it our old self. And so let me give you an image that I have always found to be helpful. When you and I first come to Christ and put our trust in Him, we are truly transformed. We are truly new creatures. We are truly born anew of the Spirit of God. It's a genuine transformation. However, it's kind of like looking at an iceberg. If you know much about icebergs, you know that what you see on the surface sticking up out of the water is a very, very small amount of the true iceberg. It's said to be about 20 to 30 percent appears above the surface. So you look at an iceberg and it might not look that big, but you're only seeing 20 to 30 percent of it. 70 to 80 percent of it is below the surface. You following where I'm going with this? You and I are like icebergs. There's about 70 or 80 percent below the surface. We have habits. We have reaction patterns. They have become part of the fiber of our being. They happen before we can think. We have attitudes. We have misbeliefs that have gotten wound around our soul. And so the deeper transforming work of God 
it has to go past our cognitive cooperation. We always want to be like Jesus, but you know and I know something happens. I want to be, let's say, patient. I want to be gentle, but I find I'm not patient. I find I'm not gentle, and I hate it. And I confess to the sin and I say, oh God, I, I want so much to be like Jesus. In fact, I'll bet you some of you like me, you've prayed this prayer many a time. Oh, please, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to think the way you think. I want to view people the way you view them. I want to treat people the way you treat them. I want your love, your love for people to just flow through me. I want to be like you. Do you know what happens? Do you know what happens in heaven when you pray that prayer, when I pray that prayer? Do you want to know what happens? God says, Yes, I'm going to give you exactly what you want, my child. I promise you, I'm going to give you what you want. Indeed, I'm going to see to it that you're going to be just like Jesus, my totally unique son. You're going to be given the gift of wearing his persona, his image. And then, and then God, like a great master builder, a great master architect, he goes to work and he starts to take our unique circumstances, wherever we're at in history, wherever we're at in life, wherever we're at in the world, what stage of life, it doesn't matter. And he starts involving himself in our circumstances to build a great edifice, the, the, the character of Christ. I, I did construction work for 17 years and, and one of my first jobs, construction work, it started way, way, way down in the ground, down in the mud. And we were just doing the, the garages. It was like three levels of garages. But so you're dealing with all kinds of things underground. The master builder, the master architects, they've already done topographical studies. They know, for example, boy, if we're going to build this skyscraper in this location, there's a lot of rock there. And so this is going to start out very slow. We're going to have to do a lot of blasting, a lot of dynamiting, a lot of difficult rubble removal, folks. When we pray that prayer, oh Lord, I, I want to be like you. I want to love the way you love. I want, to, I want to react the way you react. God says, I'm going to answer that prayer for you. But my son, my daughter, it's going to take a lot of rubble removal. It's going to take a lot of blasting, a lot of dynamite. You, you've hit a ceiling of what your will can accomplish. I want to be like Jesus, but I have habits that keep pulling me in a different direction. And so the Father says, I'm now going to help. I'm going to step in. And James says the way the Father steps in is He sends us trials of all different kinds. Let me read it to you one more time so that it sinks into your heart. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, like Jesus, and complete, not lacking anything. So God, our Father, says, I'm going to answer your prayer. But it's going to necessitate trials to do the, the deep work, to, to get to those things that are way below the, the ocean level surface, those things that are deeply rooted inside of you, my son, my daughter. The only thing that can blast them free, it, it's trials of all different kinds. Now, now, now think about it, trials of all different kinds. There are relational trials that are excruciating. There are economic trials that can worry us sick. There are physical trials. There are, there are mental, emotional trials. 
there, there are sociological trials. There are geopolitical trials. There are some trials that come to us at various seasons in life. There's trials that hit you when you're a young kid growing up. There's trials that hit you when you're older in life. There's all kinds of different ones in between. Trials of many, many different kinds. The trials are always available, and God wants us to know that they are His gifts of love to help us to mature, to get us unstuck where we're stuck, and to propel us forward so that Christ-like feelings, Christ-like emotions, Christ-like reflexes and reaction patterns actually, they actually start to exist in us. Please hear me clearly. This tends not to be fast work. This tends not to be easy work. This tends to take protracted time, and it feels so impossible sometimes. It seems like we are two steps forward and three steps back again and again, and we feel like, I'm never going to change. These reaction patterns in me are just so rooted. I'm never going to be like Jesus. I hate this part of me. I don't want to be this guy, but it feels impossible. Folks, there's all kinds of things that were once impossible in our lives, but because we wanted them badly enough, we believed they were valuable enough, and we kept at them, we were able to do them. There was a time in your life where you couldn't walk, but you can walk now. There was a time in your life when you couldn't feed yourself, but you can do that now for sure. There was a time in your life when you couldn't dress yourself. I could go on and on. Listen, many things that are impossible for a season if we persevere and if they're part of God's plan and design for us, become possible in time. And God helps us. He creates a context. He creates a building design unique for our development to help get us unstuck and to develop those Christ-like emotional responses and habits and patterns. And He's faithful. He's faithful in all this. Let me read you a verse that kind of gives us this picture. It's from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It says, endure hardship as God's discipline. That means His developmental program. Endure hardship. That's trials, hardships of any kind. Endure them as God's discipline and rejoice. Same things James says, and rejoice. Why rejoice when we're going through hardships? That He is treating you as His children. For what child? doesn't experience discipline from a parent. Verse 11 in Hebrews 12 says this, Now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time, yet later, yet later, it will produce a transformation of character. This is from the, the TPT version. It will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. Let, let, let me give you a picture of what this looks like in real life. Let's just say that your struggle is that you are very impatient and maybe you have some anger problems connected with the impatience. Not that that would really be likely with most of you sweet, loving, gentle, patient people, but there just might be one or two of you out there that can identify with that. So let us say that's our problem and you hate it, man. You hate it when you get impatient and you hate it when you get angry and grouchy and you, you, you know, say things harshly or edgy, and you don't want to be that person. But you just find you fail at it again and again before you know it. The stimulus comes, the trigger comes, and bang, out comes the reaction. And so how does God then use trials to help you 
help me become transformed in these areas where we are stuck in our developmental maturity, becoming like Christ. Let me give you an idea how this works. Typically, typically what will happen is that God will lock us into a set of circumstances for a protracted period of time in which we are being frustrated again and again and again, angered again and again and again. But here's the key. The context is one that for whatever the reason, we cannot respond the way we feel inside. We are forced to somehow exercise control. We feel like we're going to explode. We, we feel like we're losing our mind. We beg God to help us. We beg Him to take it away, but He doesn't take it away. It goes on and it goes on. And, the, and each time when the stimulus comes, each time when, when something aggravates us, the aggravation rises up, the anger rises up, and we feel it, man. We feel it inside, that terrible thing. But the context is one that we can't express it. Maybe it'll get us fired if we express it. Maybe we'll lose our spouse if we express it. Maybe we'll lose our kids. I don't know what it might be. But God puts us in a context where we feel the reactions again and again, but we can't express them fully. Now, here's what happens over a period of time. And this is, this is a fascinating and amazing thing. After a period of time, it eventually gets to the place after you feel like you've even lost track of it the stimulus comes the trigger comes but all of a sudden you're not impatient all of a sudden the anger is not there the anger that was once there it was automatic it was quick as lightning the the impatience that was once there immediate it's somehow gone it's been sort of blasted out of you the trial itself that you hated, that was wringing out your soul, that was driving you crazy because you persevered, like James says, because you stayed faithful to God and you hung in under it, it eventually, it cleansed, it purified, it got rid of the debris, and now your emotions that were so not under your control are under your control. And now your emotions that you wanted so much to be Jesus-like, patience instead of impatience, kindness and gentleness instead of anger and harshness, all of a sudden, those actual emotions are there. The triggers don't trigger you anymore. The stimulus doesn't stimulate you anymore. In fact, it stimulates a gentle response. It stimulates a calmness. How did this happen? It was this protracted, prolonged process of a loving father's disciplinary classroom, as it were, to bring us to the place where our emotions and our reactions and our habits were now lining up, lining up with our Christ-like mind. We always wanted to be like Jesus. We just couldn't, we couldn't make it happen. Now, because of God's disciplinary involvement in our life, it actually happens. We actually start to feel the way Jesus would feel. This, this, this is a beautiful process when it starts to happen. Now, now I don't want to make it sound as though this is an instantaneous thing. It's quite the opposite. It tends to take time and it tends to bring with it the beautiful fruit of humility because we fail so darn much at it when we want to succeed so much that it's humbling, genuinely humbling. Humiliation usually is what it takes to bring humility and from humility grows all those Christ-like characteristics that a real Christ follower values, wants, and pursues with all of their might in life. I, I want to close kind of where I began. I talked to you about a young guy that influenced me so much early on. 
His name was Pat Snipes. I, I just thought he was the coolest guy I'd ever met. I was just a young kid, 11, 12 years old, and he was so cool, I just wanted to be like him. Let me fast forward in time a little bit. When Pat was in high school, probably about 16, 17 years old, his cool continued, man. He was cooler than cool. And this guy had one of the most beautiful 1965 GTOs I have ever seen in all my life, man. It was spectacular. I have no idea where he got the money. It just fit with him, though. The man was just plain cool. Well, the story went like this. He was somewhere in District Heights, Maryland. That's Peachy County, Maryland. I was living in Southeast Washington back in those days. And he had two friends in this spectacular GTO, and they must have felt really good just to be in Pat Snipes' car because he was so cool. Story goes that he started laying some rubber, which is what people did in those days if you had a hot car, a muscle car. Cops were there. Cops took chase. Pat was cool. He took off in his GTO. He knew that thing was smoking hot. He knew he could outrun the cops probably. He got over, the story goes, way over 100 miles an hour on Pennsylvania Avenue Extended. Some of you know where that is. Heading down toward what was the Penn Mar Shopping Center. And all of a sudden, only God himself knows why, over 100 miles an hour, the police said, he suddenly tries to make a left-hand turn, a sharp left-hand turn. The car, of course, goes sideways, propels sideways into a telephone pole. The car was so badly damaged, they kept it on display in Penmore Shopping Center parking lot for people and other teenagers to see. I'll never forget it as long as I live. The two sides of the car were smashed in like this, and it just pushed the sides in straight up. All three people in the car were killed. I want to read you the statement. The two that I started off with. Be careful what you chase supremely because you will likely get it. Be more careful of what you admire supremely because you will likely become like it. It didn't click with me then, but when I when I saw the death of this guy at such a young age, such an unnecessary death, it definitely shook me. I was about 16 then. Seven years later, I would meet somebody that I admired way more than Pat. Somebody that at age 23, I put all my trust in, all my faith in. He won my heart. He won my affection. I have been supremely chasing him. I have been admiring him more than anyone and wanting to be like him more than anyone for all those years of my life since. And I have no regrets other than after all these years, I still have so far to go to be like him. But he promises me he will finish the work in me and so I've learned by experience that when I am in trials of many kinds, whatever kind it is, economic, relational, mental, emotional, physical, stage in life, trial, whatever it is, I have learned, I have learned, I have learned. God's doing something good. He's doing something I can't do. And if I stay faithful to Him, He'll do some blasting, He'll do some rubble removal, and I will wear the gift of being just a little bit more like Christ, and the content of my character, your character, determines the quality of my life for myself and the quality of my life as a contribution to others. So, what trials 
are you encountering right now? And you are. They're always there. A loving Father always provides them. They're His, his schoolroom, His classroom, His developmental laboratory. What trials? Have you recognized them as His gifts? Have you counted them as joy, like James says? Or have you been resisting them? Have you been angry at them? Have you been confused by them? Because He wants you to know they're, they're par for the course. They're necessary and they're good if you stay faithful to Christ during them. What possible trait might God be working away at by your unique trial or trials that you're going through now? If you read on in James, James says, you know, sometimes we, we need wisdom and it's good to ask God. If we, if we say, God, I'm going to stay obedient and faithful to you, we can ask God for wisdom and He'll give us some insight how we should respond in the trial and perhaps He'll even give us some insight what Christ-like trait God is working in us through the trial and that gives us a little extra incentive. I hope so much that whatever your trial is, you will learn, like James says, count it all joy because a loving God is doing His best work in you, His best work for you, His best work through you when you and I are taking advantage of these trials that a loving Father brings to us for our good, for our character development. Let's pray, FCF. We are so glad that uh, you are the perfect Father beyond anything we can ask or think. You work tirelessly, mercifully in us. You never give up on us. And even when we fuss and complain and rebel, you in your love, you just keep working. You just keep working. You just keep moving us along. Thank you, our God, that when we would quit, when we would run, when we would give up, you and your love are relentless. Thank you for your faithful love. Help us. Help us to learn this truth. Help us to reinterpret life's occurrences so that we will have joy instead of panic. Peace instead of panic. Joy instead of concerns that you've abandoned us or that you're angry at us or that we have somehow slipped away from your will. Thank you, our God, for this truth. And thank you that we get to wear the beauty of your Son through which you have revealed yourself to us fully, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.